I just get too excited and just get going with things and there you go, all right. Apologies to the worship team and projection people that, all right, enough about that. We're in Matthew chapter 13, Matthew chapter 13, looking at two parables this morning, the mustard seed and the yeast. Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 31. We're in this series looking at parables on the present kingdom of God, the present kingdom of God. It's been a lot of fun for me to dive into these and study them. And so here we go with two more. I don't know if it's been fun for you. It's been challenging, I think. These have been challenging parables, challenging parables. Messy has been the word uh, that's been used a lot. So Jesus says, the word of God says, he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour. It worked until it worked all through the dough. All right, let's dive into these this morning. Like many of Jesus' parables, there's some paradox that's happening here. There's some things that are kind of mind-benders. If you were to be his original hearers, if you're in the know about mustard seeds and leaven or yeast, then you would know that Jesus is up to something, and we're going to get there. Uh, Duke Seminary professor Stanley Hauerwas, this is how he says, he says, Jesus is teaching us to see the significance of the insignificant. Jesus is teaching us to see the significance of the insignificant. So the real challenge or task this morning in understanding this parable is what is this insignificant thing that Jesus says actually it looks insignificant in the eyes of the world, society, or culture, but it actually has the greatest significance in the kingdom of God. And this is kind of similar to this upside-down kingdom the upside-down kingdom we've been looking at over the last two weeks. Two weeks ago, we saw that there's a man who plants seeds, and he just goes to sleep, and he wakes up, and he goes to sleep, and he wakes up, and he doesn't do anything to the field, but the seeds grow. And Jesus is saying that the kingdom of God is growing all by itself. It really doesn't need you or me. It's growing all by itself. And that's in contrast to those of us who think we have to work to make the kingdom happen Jesus is saying, no, God's got it. God's got it under control. Last week, we saw this really challenging parable where Jesus is saying, uh, there's another sower and he's planting seeds of the kingdom and the weed is growing and an enemy comes in the middle of the night and tries to spoil the good seed. And Jesus says to his servants who say, we should get rid of the weeds, right, Jesus? He says, no, 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 leave the weeds alone. Let them grow, leave them alone. Very messy Very upside-down parable that we saw last week. But today's text then, today's challenge is to discover the significant in the insignificant. And hopefully that by us responding, and this is kind of a a phrase I've been messing with, as as you see, if if anybody pays attention to the title on the back of the the bulletin. I hope you do, because I think about those. On the back of the bulletin it says, Becoming Insignificant. Because if it's true that, this kid, that in the kingdom economy that Jesus is putting forth, the insignificant things have the greatest significance, then our journey as citizens of that kingdom is actually, and here's where the paradox gets really weird and really interesting and really messy again, is for us to actually become insignificant, that in doing so, 
paradoxically, we would become significant in the kingdom of God. Are you with me on that? Are you with me on that? It's a weird thing. It's a weird thing, but come along with me on this. It's a weird thing. So we're starting to seek understanding of the basic aspects of these parables. Let's just start at the beginning with the mustard seed and the leaven. Let's start with why is Jesus telling these parables? What are these about? We've seen over the last couple weeks that Jesus often tells parables to confront our understanding of something. That his hearers had some understanding about the kingdom of God, about the way God works, and Jesus tells them a parable to confront that understanding, give them a picture of what it's really like in a way that they otherwise would not be able to hear it. So the mustard seed. Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed somebody plants in a field, though it is the smallest of all seeds. Okay, not technically smallest of all seeds, but it's really small. Okay, let's not... Let's not some, some of the commentaries like harass Jesus about this. It's not really the smallest seed, Jesus. He should know this. Like, come on. It's a story. Come on. Okay. They're really small, though. Have you, have you seen one? They're really, really small. Okay. Back to the point. It's the smallest of all seeds. It grows to the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. I, I confessed to you all last week that I'm not a farmer. Not. Not a farmer. Even though I'm from Nebraska, not a farmer. I'm also not a gardener, so I don't understand these garden things, and I praise Jesus that there are things called commentaries and things called Google. I praise Jesus that Google exists, where you can find out about things like mustard seeds, mustard trees, the history of gardening in Israel, and why on earth is this an interesting topic to talk about at all? Why did Jesus tell this story? What's fascinating about mustard trees, as I did some studying, is that though they are tiny, they are somewhat invasive. Some call them contagions. It reminded me, as I read, of the blackberry bushes we had in Washington State, where you love the blackberries, you love, you love the berry it produces, but you hate these thorny plants. They were all over the ultimate Frisbee course that I played at. And your Frisbee would go in there and you're like, really? Really? This is what I have to deal with? They were everywhere. We actually had some just grow up out of nowhere in our backyard. Now, as we got ready to sell our house, I'm in there chopping those things, and there was no hope. There was no hope at eradicating these bushes. And many have said that is the same with mustard seeds. They're invasive. You cannot control them. Though it's tiny when it is planted, you can't control it. Also, I've seen them, they're dark in color, and so if you can imagine them being scattered in a field, or in this case, a man plants one tiny mustard seed in a field, cover that thing over with dirt, and you are never going to find it again. You can't say, oh my goodness, somebody planted a mustard seed in our garden, this is the worst thing that could have ever happened, it's going to destroy everything else, go and get rid of it, you will never find it. And so Jesus is making a point about the hiddenness of the kingdom of God, the hiddenness of of the kingdom of God. And on top of that, there were actual instructions for the Jews of the time to keep things like this out of their gardens so that things like this wouldn't ruin the good crop. And Jesus is saying for some reason, there's a farmer who actually planted one of these things on purpose. And the people would have said, that's really weird. Don't do that. That's crazy. That's a bad idea. And Jesus says, no, that's what the kingdom of God is like. And in the same way, he looks at the kingdom and says it's like yeast put into dough. Sixty pounds of dough. This dough, as I looked again, thankfully, because I'm not a baker as well. I'm sorry to disappoint any of you who are like, well, maybe he's a baker. No, 
Not a baker either. Not a gardener, not a farmer, not a baker. Don't have any of those skills, sorry. If Jesus would have told parables about athletic competition, I would have been right there with him. I'd be like, oh, I got this, I got this. I would have been very confused back in Jesus' day, apparently. So apparently, though, this a huge amount of dough could feed as many as 100 or 150 people. We're talking about vast amounts of dough, and Jesus is saying there's somebody that the kingdom of God is like putting a little bit of yeast in there and working it through all of that dough. Another thing of saying the hiddenness of the kingdom of God. The hiddenness of the kingdom of God. It's interesting, though, that Jesus then takes these two things. And, oh, one point I want to make as well is that uh, most of the commentaries and things I read, they point out that just like mustard was seen as a contagion, an invasive species, yeast, often in religious language, is used as a negative example. Remember when Jesus said, beware the yeast of the Pharisees. It was usually used as a negative thing in Jesus' religious talk. So for him to turn it and say the kingdom of God is like yeast, people's ears are perking up. It's like a mustard seed. It's like yeast. Those are not good things, Jesus. Help us out. Help us out. And so Jesus, again, is saying that there's the seemingly insignificant things like yeast compared to the 60 pounds of flour, the seemingly insignificant thing like a mustard seed that nobody would have wanted in their garden, these are the significant things. These have the chance to make the most significant impact on the world. Okay, this week's text really made me do my homework, so I want to connect some dots for you uh, to see, like, what do we do with this then? Why is Jesus saying this? What is he trying to confront in us in understanding the kingdom of God? What do we make of it? So, so one of the interesting things here is this a reference to the birds of the air making its trees, uh, making its trees. The birds of the air making their home in the trees of the mustard seed, making their home in the branches of the tree. Many believe that Jesus is referencing Old Testament language. Old Testament language, the best example I found of this was Ezekiel 17. God is making promises to a people who are in exile, who are defeated, making promises about a bright future. A bright future. And here's what he says in Ezekiel 17. This is what the Lord says. I myself will take a shoot from the very top of a cedar and plant it. I will break off a tender sprig from its topmost shoots and plant it on a high and lofty mountain. On the mountain heights of Israel I will plant it. It will produce branches and bear fruit and become a splendid cedar. Birds of every kind will nest in it. They will find shelter in the shade of its branches. All the trees of the forest will know that I, the Lord, bring down the tall tree and make the low tree grow tall. I dry up the green tree and make the dry tree flourish. I, the Lord, have spoken, and I will do it. So Ezekiel is giving words of hope, encouragement, prophecy about a day that's going to be majestic. It's going to be huge. Everyone's going to know about it because this gigantic cedar is going to grow up on the highest mountain. Everybody will see it and they'll say, God is good. Because there it is on the highest mountain. That's incredible. That's what they're hoping for. Israel will be strong again. God will save the people. Everything will be made right. And Jesus comes and says, no, 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 no. No, it's not going to be a cedar. It's going to be an invasive mustard seed. How do you like to hear that if you're Israel? 
How do you like to hear that if you're looking, feeling as though you're an oppressed people, there's Romans all around you, you know they're in charge, you know you have no power, you know that your religion is kind of seen as this backwards thing, that this small group of people who are basically a remnant of what used to be great hundreds of years ago, but now nobody really cares about them, they're really just a nuisance, and you want to hear that God has come to save you, and the guy you think's the Messiah is like, oh, it's like going to be like a mustard seed. It's going to grow into a tree, and it's kind of an invasive thing. You're like, what happened to the cedar image? Let's go back to that. Let's go back to the cedar thing, Jesus. Jesus is obviously confronting them with some ideas about the kingdom here, if you're tracking. Jesus, it's like the people are saying, Jesus, tell us about the kingdom of God being a tall, impressive, strong cedar. Tell us about God's Messiah. You're the Messiah, right? And you're going to crush our rivals, overthrow the Romans, restore Israel to the place of strength. And Jesus says, yeah, you're right. The kingdom of God, it's like a plant. It's like a mustard tree. It's here. It's growing. It's kind of subversive. But soon it will be everywhere. And everyone will see it. No, 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 Jesus. We don't want a mustard tree. That's lame. Give us a cedar. Give us a Messiah who's powerful like a cedar with a huge trunk, mighty branches. Everybody can live in the branches. Everyone will see it. A mustard tree. No thanks. But Jesus, for some reason, doesn't play to the wishes, the hopes, the dreams of the people. We want him to, right? We want him to play to our wishes, our hopes, our dreams. We want Jesus to be exactly who we want him to be, who I want him to be, who you want him to be. We want God to do the things we want God to do for us now. But Jesus comes and he he doesn't tickle his listeners' ears. He doesn't cater to the desires of the masses He, in effect, is like the worst PR guy for the kingdom of God. He's the worst. He's no marketing guru. He's just bad at this. He's bad at his job. Can I say, I don't know, I'm sorry. Some of you are like, you can't say that about Jesus. But if you're an Israelite at the time and you're hoping that maybe this guy who's doing all these miracles and doing all this stuff is the Messiah and he describes the kingdom of God as a mustard tree, you're probably going, eh, not so much. I'm not buying what he is selling. No thanks, give me the cedar that Ezekiel talked about. There's an author named Caroline Lewis, she writes this, and here's where it switches to us thinking about this as well, which I've already alluded to. She says, how we imagine what the kingdom of heaven is like depends a lot on what we need the kingdom of heaven to be. We want it to be like what we want it to be, not always what Jesus says it's going to be. She says our language about the kingdom of heaven uh, tends to be attached to how we think God should act and not how God has already acted. Our assumptions about the kingdom of heaven rely heavily on our system of rewards and not on God's choice to bless. That was hard to read. Because it made me really think, what do I want from God? What do I find myself asking of God hoping God will do. And it's not bad to have hopes and dreams and wishes and, and talk to God about those things, but how often do I, do I hear myself, do I hear people saying, well, God didn't do this, therefore God's not reliable, trustworthy, faithful. But really, it's because we just didn't get what we want. 
not reflecting on the way God has acted throughout history or how God has revealed himself in his word. It's because we didn't get what we want. And it's the unfortunate truth that we, like Jesus' original audience, we want the kingdom of heaven to be exactly what we need it to be. We want it to be a cedar. No, 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 we're in California. We want a redwood. Okay? Enough of cedars. That's not even good enough. I want a redwood, Jesus. The kind I can drive a car through, because that's apparently important here. Okay? That's what I want. Give me a kingdom like a redwood, and that will certainly conquer everything. Don't give me invasive species as the kingdom. That sounds terrible. Give me a redwood. Don't give me slow growings, patiently sprouting, yeast in the dough, waiting to be for the, you know, yeast, I was thinking about this, yeast, it makes you, you put it in the dough and you've got to, you've got to preheat the oven and you're waiting for the oven to preheat. And now you've got to cook this stuff for 45 minutes. No, I want it now. I want to eat now. I'm hungry. I don't have time for this yeast image you're talking about, Jesus. Where is God? You're, you're supposedly here. You're representing God. Let's get it done now. Don't tell us it's like an invasive tree growing that nobody likes. Don't tell me it's like putting yeast in dough that eventually we can enjoy. Tell me about the kingdom now and coming in its power. And here's what's interesting. Because isn't what's described here exactly what Jesus does in his life and in his ministry? That is, he has this subversive, hidden, what is this guy really up to? This hidden quality about him. He's, he's, he's just working in this who cares about it place. I mean, that's an interesting thing. Jesus is in a backwater place in the Roman Empire. Nobody cares, nobody in terms of the powerful elite at his time really care about Jesus until he becomes a problem and a possible uprising might happen. Nobody seems to care that much about Jesus. You don't hear about Caesar going, hey, what's going on over there in Israel? I don't think Caesar cares about Israel. It's not the place of power. It's not the place of great resources. It's just this place they happen to be in charge of. Nobody seems to care about Jesus. Nobody. You could argue that Jesus was like a mustard seed hidden in a field. Jesus was like a little yeast sprinkled into a huge tub of flour. He was this insignificant boy from Nazareth. And one of his own followers, remember one of his own followers said, what good can come from Nazareth? One of his own followers said that. Hey, this is Jesus, the Messiah from Nazareth. What? Nothing good can come from Nazareth. That was the first response of Nathaniel when he heard that Jesus from Nazareth was the Messiah. Jesus, this insignificant boy from Nazareth in a backwater place in the Roman Empire. So what? What's the big deal about him? What's the big deal about him? I mean, apparently he's a prophet. Apparently he can do some miracles. Apparently, there's people actually saying maybe he's God's Messiah, maybe he's God's anointed one. As things started to build, oh no, that can't be true because he died. And so, so the Jesus story it should have ended there. Should have heard nothing about him. So why today, 2,000 years later, are we talking about him? Because he's like a mustard seed. A mustard seed crushed, put into the ground, 
that grows an invasive species. How did the news about Jesus spread? How did the news spread? Not by overthrowing power structures, not by becoming a mighty cedar, a redwood. That's not how the news spread about Jesus. None of his followers immediately said, okay, here's what we need to do. We need to become kings, rulers, authorities ourselves. No, they spread it underground. A bunch of seemingly insignificant mustard seeds, some random fishermen from a no-place town, from no-place, many no-place towns, from a no-place in the Roman Empire, spread the most amazing news throughout the entire world. This is an incredible thing. This is the significant thing that comes from what was seemingly insignificant. It's like a little bit more yeast started to get sprinkled and it poured out of Jerusalem, poured out of Israel to the ends of the earth. And it all started with this seemingly insignificant rabble-rouser in Jerusalem who was from Nazareth. And made strange claims like, no, 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 the kingdom of God is not like a cedar tree. It's like a mustard seed. It's like a mustard seed, Jesus says, the smallest of seeds that grows and grows and grows. It's invasive. It's subversive. You can't contain it. It will frustrate you if you try. Just ask those who think that they've tried to control Christianity over the years. Ask those dictators, those rulers, those authorities who have said, oh yeah, we made it illegal in our place to to follow Jesus. Did it work? Has it ever worked? No. No. Because for some reason it grows and it grows and it grows. This seemingly insignificant movement group of people that just keeps growing because of their commitment to Christ and because of the beauty of the kingdom that they see growing up all around them. Under the threat of death, the kingdom still grows. Make it illegal to talk about it, it still grows. Persecute, torture, kill those insignificant citizens of this insignificant kingdom. And for some reason, somehow, it just keeps growing. It somehow becomes more significant to people in places where they are told of its insignificance. Are you with me on this? It's upside down. It's strange. It doesn't make sense, but Jesus says it's the way the kingdom works. Functions. And so the part where it gets real for us is are we willing to embrace this reality? Embracing insignificance in the eyes of the world. So that the significance, the importance, the rampant growth of the kingdom can be experienced and grow through us. So what does this mean for us? What does this mean? What does this actually look like? I was really struggling with what does this look like because how do we embrace insignificance. I don't know how many of you are like, sign me up for that. I'd like to be insignificant. Um, but it seems to be what Jesus is pointing to, that he, he uses us. It's uh, as the Apostle Paul says, Jesus uses, uh, God says, my grace is sufficient for you. This is 2 Corinthians 12. My power is made perfect in weakness. And so Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insult, in hardship, in persecution, in difficulties, for when I am weak, then I am strong. I'll I'll confess, I don't uh, delight in insults, in hardships, 
and persecution or in difficulties. I read these words of Paul, and as I read them, and he talks about my joy, oh, I was so excited when I was persecuted. What? No, thank you. And yet Paul is saying that there's something about the upside-down kingdom that when he experiences weakness, that's when God is strongest. As, as Jesus went to the cross and it looked like he failed, he lost, game over, that is when he won. What? This is the kingdom that we represent. This is the kingdom we represent. It's this kingdom where as we share this bread, this yeast mixed in and this bread with others, as we plant more and more of these subversive, invasive seeds, people start to see they can't stop it, they can't contain it. And when citizens of this kingdom are faithful to point out its growth, share the bread with others, the hidden kingdom, what was otherwise hidden, starts to become known for everyone. Lives are changed, redemption is experienced, healing occurs, enemies are loved, Forgiveness is experienced. Relationships are restored. Salvation is known. Grace washes over people like a river. It's out of control and it makes no earthly sense. The things of the kingdom make no earthly sense. So Jesus gives us this parable to disrupt our understandings of the kingdom. Our understandings, our hopes that the kingdom would be like a towering redwood, Instead, he says, the kingdom looks like a king on a cross pouring out his life for all of humanity. The kingdom looks like a person on his knees crying out in humility to God, confessing unworthiness. You remember that story Jesus tells? That there's a, there's a, a Pharisee who comes in and says, thank you, God, that I'm not like everyone else. I've got it all together. And there's this other person on his knees beating his chest, just saying, I am worthless. And Jesus says, whose prayer do you think will be heard? This is the kingdom of God. It's found in weakness, not strength. It looks like a parent, Jesus tells another story that uh, Pastor Kurt will be preaching on in a couple weeks. Uh, uh, that The kingdom of God looks like a parent welcoming a son back after he totally blows it. The kingdom looks like a farmer sowing seeds after realizing an enemy has come. The, 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 the farmer just waits, non-anxious, knowing that the greatest efforts to destroy the kingdom, snuff it out, ruin the dough, can never prevail. In fact, those efforts only seem to make the kingdom stronger, make it grow more subversively. Those efforts at cutting away annoying mustard branches somehow make it grow more. The kingdom of God is tricky. Finally, author and activist Shane Claiborne, he writes this. He said, what Jesus had in mind was not a frontal attack on the empires of the world. That's what some of his people wanted. They wanted the cedar tree, the mighty cedar tree, riding in on a war horse, taking out the Romans. His revolution, Claiborne writes, is a subtle contagion. One little life, one little hospitality house at a time. His power was not in crushing, but in being crushed, triumphing over the empire's sword with his cross. Mustard seed, Claiborne writes, must be crushed, ground, broken for its power to be released. He also says that mustard was known for healing and was rubbed on the chest to help with breathing, sort of like Vic, Vic's vapor rub. And he says this, I love this, last, last, last quote from him. Mustard, a wild contagion of a weed, a healing balm, a sign of upside-down power, official sponsor of the Jesus Revolution. That's right, mustard, official sponsor 
of the Jesus revolution. Have you ever thought of that? I certainly hadn't. I like that though. Mustard seed, a wild contagion, official sponsor of the Jesus revolution because the Jesus revolution, the Jesus movement started with this guy who just was in a backwater place and a no, nobody cares about it place. And now for some reason, 2,000 years later, we're sitting here in a place that maybe those people, no, not maybe, those people could not have conceived of this place. And we are sitting here talking about Jesus because it grew like mustard trees out of control. You can't contain it. So may we live in such a way that we recognize the significance, the impact, the greatness of the kingdom of God by embracing what is seemingly insignificant, what seems to lack power in the eyes of the world. Let us seek for ways to represent the kingdom a kingdom with a wild contagion of a seed, an out-of-control plant as its official sponsor. Would you pray with me? God, it's true that your, your movement, if we can call it that, Jesus, your movement spread like wildfire. It spread like an out-of-control weed. Just when people think they can snuff it out, it grows again. It springs up from the cracks of the pavement. You can't control it. Lord, help us to remember that we can't control you. And, and in doing so, let ourselves be used by you. Let ourselves be agents of your kingdom, citizens of your kingdom, embracing this strange upside-down kingdom that in its strangeness is powerful. Lord, we confess that we don't always like this idea of that we are strong in our weakness, that that's when you make us strong when we admit weakness. Lord, as we confess that, help us to see the ways in which we are weak, but that you make us strong in those moments, that we might see your kingdom at work in this world in and through us. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.